butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Tony, it is good to be back on with you, man. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So enjoying the beautiful sunny days out here in Maryland. Uh, it's a nice respite from the colder weather than you experience, but nowhere near as cold as some of our listeners have. Actually, today it feels really good outside because there's, it's rainy, but uh, there for a little while we were constantly like right around 100, and it was pretty brutal, so glad for the reprieve. Um, so how has the summer been for you so far now that we're, summer is underway? It's been good. I think it's been a... Uh, not, I wouldn't say the most restful time. We've got a lot going on with our church and everything, uh, but uh, I think it's been, I think, some good experiences. I think some opportunities to see people growing in the Lord, and we did have an opportunity to have one vacation, and we'll have another kind of end of summer vacation, which will be super, super, super needed. And I know you are especially busy right now, right? Yes, we are right in the middle of Vacation Bible School, so um, midpoint in the week, but it's been a good week, and so I'm confident um, the Lord's working in hearts, and so we'll see what kind of fruit comes from that in time, but um, it has been fun doing Summer Sequest, and a shout out to our friends at VBS Reach Out Adventures. Um, they, they do great work there, so Anna, thank you <coughs> if you're listening. Yeah, you guys uh, are the best. Yes. So, Tony... You know, summer comes with lots of movies and fanfare, and I know that you you love movies. Have you seen any good ones lately? I saw Endgame a couple months ago. Uh, I haven't really seen much since then, so uh, I think a lot of the movies I was excited about uh, didn't get some of the best reviews. I know the new uh, uh, the new X Men movie, which I like the X Men movies and the comics growing up, uh, but the new X Men movie is supposed to be particularly terrible. So I have not gotten around to see that one. Ah, that's too bad. At some point, Wolverine's going to get kind of flabby and puffy. Um, he's retired. You know, he's oh, has he? Re- okay. So, yeah. see, I, I, I don't keep up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy movies. I, I enjoy the stories that they tell. So how about you? I mean, do you enjoy stories? Is it part of the reason that you, you like movies so much? I definitely think so. I mean, I, I enjoy, and, and even to the, I mentioned the comic book movies that I like to see sometimes, and I enjoyed the stories of comic books when I was a kid, literally uh, reading some of the comic books. I mean, I even more than that, I would enjoy, I, I remember watching the Spider-Man animated television show as a young child. So, yeah, I do like stories quite a bit. I think that's pretty common. I know my daughter, oldest daughter, won uh, the Action Bible recently. And so she's really been into that. And so each night nice. uh, before we read her, she's been reading through and she's trying to read through it chronologically. Uh, and so I've been very encouraged just seeing her interest in that. And I think, you know, the, the visual stuff in there helps um, just the way the story is told. But um, I know, I mean, you've got three kids and you've ministered to, you know, kids and youth. Um, how about them? I mean, has that been your experience? Do they also enjoy stories quite a bit? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, I think probably more the movie version. Uh 
especially uh, with the teenagers. I, we do have some, actually. I was just interacting with one of our teenagers who was reading a novel just a few minutes ago. Uh, but uh, a lot of our a lot of our teens and even a lot of our kids, uh, a lot of them really like uh, Harry Potter at our church. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I know some folks that like Harry Potter. I never really got into it. I mean, I was still I don't get young it, enough yeah. <laughs> when – I just didn't really like to leap. I, and I still – I like stories. I like to be told them probably movie form more. I just don't like to read a lot of fiction. And Harry Potter just wasn't my thing. I mean, you know, I know we probably have some listeners that think that it, it's really evil. Um, others probably don't. It just wasn't my thing. Tony, what is your favorite genre of scripture, you know, the literary type, as we kind of bridge from stories into scripture? Because there's a lot of stories in scripture. Um, there's some, you know, not G-rated stories, which we've done a podcast on that. But yep. what's your favorite genre of scripture? Uh, I, for, I'm going to guess on you, prophecy, but uh, I think I'm probably easy to guess. So I'm not even going to let you guess uh, that epistle. I'm just such a uh, – maybe it's I'm legalistic a little bit. I don't know. Or maybe there's a little bit of a lawyer in me, uh, and the nature of epistle kind of appeals to that. Uh, uh, maybe I'm a bit of a simpleton. I don't know. So, But I really like the epistles probably the most. I mean, I think everything's great because it's God's word, but I like the epistles probably the most of all the genres. Yeah, I, I, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think that in some – I guess it just depends. There are times when – kind of whatever I'm reading, I just prefer that at the time. I, I will say that there are some exceptions. When I'm reading long sections of um, of genealogy or of Levitical law or something like that, that though I do appreciate Leviticus. Um, I love Leviticus. I, I have not, you know, come to think, man, I just love genealogy so much. Um, but I do see God's purpose for it and, you know, the the, the role that it plays um, in Scripture. But, uh, and I think, you know, narratives, um, they are fun to read. Psalms are easy to pray. The epistles are easy to pray and to apply. And if you got a mind that's kind of analytical, it's very laid out for you, kind of, you know, Roman numeral one, yeah. <laughs> uh, this kind of thing. But why do you think God gave us such different kinds of literature in Scripture, you know, the, the genre? I've heard, because D.A. Carson, you know, he's he grew up speaking French, and so he's, I don't know French, but it's Jean or something like that. But um, why do we have so well, such diverse kinds of literature in the Bible? I think it conveys the whole human experience uh, and shows us the complete picture of God's redemption. And I think we wouldn't really have that if we didn't have something like uh, songs that convey prayers of God's people like David. We wouldn't have that if we d- we had didn't have narratives that tell us the amazing stories of God working to, to provide and take care of his rebe- often rebellious people. We also wouldn't have that if we didn't have things like prophecies that, uh, that told us and showed us forward the sovereignty of God and, and future history. There's so much to, you know, God's uh, activity and I think it one thing it shows the full human element of scripture. Oh, you know, yeah. we don't believe that that scripture is simply um, you know, we are uh, God used a bunch of secretaries and just said, you know, okay, now dict- I'm going to dictate this. Now there are places where God said write this down, tell the people such and such. Uh, but there's a lot more. I mean, you think of the Psalms where it is um, human response to what's going on to the Lord himself. Um, and so it shows that human element why do you think that God gave us so much narrative in Scripture in particular? Uh, I think it does a lot. So I think it shows us his great deeds in a way that uh, other genres just would not be able to. 
uh, mm. just by their very nature. I think he does it also to humble us, to show us uh, even when we feel that we're pretty great, uh, that often we're not, you know, and uh, <laughs> often the failure of human nature. It just in really wild ways to show how bad humanity is and how, I mean, if you really read much narrative, it's hard to see you as the center, as the most important uh, hero of the story because we're pretty terrible in the narrative. So, uh, but I think also it shows us our journey, uh, the journey of salvation in Christ and all, and the journey of where we're going, you know? So we see repeated themes, especially like the theme of, co- of kingdom and covenant and shows us the kind of trajectory of that through narrative. Uh, and I think lastly, one thing and something I think like Psalm 42 seems to, uh, bring up in use of narrative is I think that, uh, we can fight against sin through memory of, of how God has been faithful in the past. And I think narrative really helps us in that ability. Hmm. That's that's really good insight. You know, I think one sense, this is a really plain thing, but people like stories. Um, It is engaging. They do. Uh, um, And, you know, you just look at every human culture that I know of, and I'm I'm not like some kind of ethnographer or something, but, I mean, stories play a big role in in the oral uh, traditions and this kind of thing. And so people enjoy it. Um, you know, and like you brought up about God's works and, and scripture, you know, we, we see and hear of God's works, like Psalm 78, which we talked about here in this podcast before that God has, you know, he's given us his word and he's done works and we're not supposed to hide them from our children. And so some of those other genres give, uh, explanation to the works. They, they, the, the narratives tell us the works of God and sometimes they give us the, the significance of them, but then other genres fill in, well, this is what they mean. This is why they're important. This is what God was doing. And so I think you're, you're right on, on that. Uh, and it can inspire awe and trust based on, you see, God acted in these real circumstances, these real situations, um, was faithful to his people. Mm. Um, he judged whatever it may be. Um, but that that can inspire, you know, us trusting and obeying God. And if I'm not mistaken, narrative is the biggest, uh, I think by far, the biggest type of, of literature that there is in Scripture. That even in the prophets, there are some sections that are narrative. Um, and so it, it's just filled with the acts of the Lord. So how much difference does the literary genre, the style of, of literature make in teaching and preaching? I think genre makes a sizable uh, difference in this. Um, so I think there are ways in which we can see this. Uh, like you can end up in heresy or all kinds of craziness if you make narrative prescriptive in the way that, you know, something like the letters of Paul are prescriptive, are, are rules for us today. I mean, I think there are other aspects. Uh, one great preacher has kind of described uh, preaching as, as going between two worlds, as it's a way of mm-hmm. kind of traversing between the world of the text and the world of today. Uh, and you can't be between two worlds if you don't get uh, the first world that it was written to. If you don't understand what the first audience was and why, for example, why Ruth was written, what was the purpose behind it? You can't, I think, bring it to today if you don't understand that. Yeah, that's um, that's helpful to just to think about those kind of things because uh, there is a gap in between um, whether it's first century with Jesus or many centuries before that in the Old Testament and getting a sense of that, but um, bringing it along. But yeah, it makes a big difference. Uh, And as you approach a narrative, it is different than as you approach the epistles, um, like you brought up. And and even perhaps the way you teach it should vary some too. Um, You know, the Holy Spirit saw fit to make the delivery method of, 
you know, the, the conquest of Canaan one way and the delivery method of how to live as the church in Ephesians, you know, in a different method. And so, um, you know, and I think wisdom can help you along in that. Um, I don't think it means that as you you teach it that uh, you have to necessarily tell its story form completely if you're teaching a narrative. And then if you're teaching, you know, in the epistles, it has to be an outline, you know, very uh, point one, sub point one, this kind of thing. But I think those are things that we think about, like why is this set differently than this other one as we try to convey that to, to kids, to youth, to, and to their parents and grandparents. So how can children and youth workers grow in understanding narrative and how it works and then how to to teach it effectively and, and biblically faithfully? I think uh, one uh, one clear way that you can do that actually is going to be through reading other classic narrative uh, to better see its purpose. Uh, and so I think this can even be, you know, whether it be reading a uh, like 1984 uh, or, you know, reading, like, I like to read presidential biographies. And I think that helps you understand the way narrative works, because even though it's a different time in a different culture, to some degree, narrative has somewhat of inherent uh, continued structure. You know, I mean, heck, if you really want to grow in this ability of understanding how narratives work, you can always uh, go back to the 90s, and it's probably in YouTube. You could watch old episodes of The Reading Rainbow, you know. You gotta love that opening song, of course. And LeVar Burton, I think, was the name of the host. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, man, he was he was on uh, Star Trek too. I remember in kindergarten or no first grade, we would watch that at at school. Yeah, great so show. I still, so yeah, that and uh, there was another one uh, with a dog in it. So Wishbone, uh, what's the story? Wishbone. Oh, you can watch from yeah, Wishbone. that's right. I remember that. Uh, but I think <laughs> more seriously, also. I think study Bibles can be really helpful for this purpose. Uh, so, you know, I think study Bibles have a way that such a good study Bible is going to do a lot of the work of, uh, of finding applications sometimes from the, from the, uh, that, from the New Testament of helping you to understand the greater context, especially when you don't have time to, you know, read the entire book of Numbers in one sitting, for example, because uh, it's written based upon that, I think. Uh, but, but, that being said, I do think there's a huge benefit in understanding narrative of reading it in big chunks. So I think almost all narrative was not meant to be like, like we think of uh, the epistles, like Paul has letters where he'll have, you know, one run on sentence. It's like 10 verses. It's basically his whole thought and it's impacted by what's before, but not as much as say a narrative is, you know, for a narrative sometimes to get the whole idea, you might need to read 10 chapters, not 10 verses, or, you know, maybe even if you have the time, sit down and read the entire uh the entirety of chronicles in one sitting which I, which is all, honestly a blessing so i really like your suggestion about sitting down and reading large chunks or even whole books and i've got something here from uh the good folks at crossway uh, that estimates how long it takes to read each book of the bible that's cool and it is it's really it's fascinating um and so genesis is going to take you a while three and a half hours um ruth takes 14 minutes, you know? Um, Esther, 31 minutes. Uh, let's find another narrative here. Judges, hour 41, 2 um, Samuel, almost two hours. I mean, there are several in the Old Testament that you know take somewhere in that one to two hour range. Um, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. It takes a little under an hour and a half. I mean, some of, you know, you sit there and watch a movie, um, but people are like, man, you know, getting, the, getting them to read it. 
a chapter is like, man, they, they feel like they've accomplished something. And yes, praise God for reading a chapter. Um, but sitting down and reading large portions of Scripture at one time can be very helpful. Just seeing, like you said, about in a narrative sometimes, it can be 10 chapters to really get the whole unit and, and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so just being sensitive to, to those kind of details. Um, and I think chapters and verses in Scripture, which they're not original, they are helpful, but at the same time, sometimes they can be hurtful because it can it can stop us artificially where we should keep reading um, just to see how the unit hangs together. I actually yeah. recently got a, a book. Or it's a Bible, but it's called a reader's Bible. You've probably seen these um, where mm-hmm. it does have a, a small verse marker or excuse me, a, a chapter marker, but there are no section headings. There are no verse things. There's no footnotes. And so it just helps you to just read further at one sitting and at one time. Um, and so anyway, I was doing this read through the Bible and a, a condensed amount of time and so it was a real helpful kind of tool so i yeah, just read it over and over and what you're talking about with the reading just good stories um that's helpful too just seeing how narrative works and you get more familiar with it so how this is an important question because we don't want to just pass along information we're, we're seeking to teach the, the bible for transformation how should we go about making application when we're teaching from narrative I mean, the text doesn't always explicitly tell us what was right and what was wrong or what's approved of and what's not. Yeah. So one very simple way at first, I mean, on the on the rare simple cases for us, sometimes we can turn to epistles uh, that address narratives. Because there are times in which uh, we always read the less clear in light of the more clear. Right? That's how good Bible reading works. Uh, and when, for example, like something like the Hall of Faith uh, mentions some narrative examples and some examples of uh, faithfulness in past people. Uh, and I think, you know, when we turn to something like that, uh, or even James, you know, James talks uh, about some of the narratives. And when we look at that kind of thing, it can help us understand what the point is, because that's basically God's inspired interpretation of that narrative. Maybe it's not complete. Maybe it doesn't show you every aspect of it, but I think it shows you the main thing. So actually, Martin Luther, uh, for those who know, he was all, sometimes he was a little uncomfortable with a lot of focus on the Old Testament, uh, and for reasons that aren't weren't always the best. But he and he didn't believe, you know, he didn't believe in preaching the law very much. Uh, but he did. He pre- believed in the law of love instead, uh, what he called. Uh, but even Luther, I think, saw that narratives, especially when it's affirmed uh, as an example for us in the New Testament, can serve as a great example of faithfulness or an example of sin that we want to avoid. And so, like now, I think of. Uh, one tonight, I'm going to be teaching our youth group about the Tower of Babel as we're going through narrative. We're going through primeval history, Genesis one through eleven, and uh, I think in the Tower of Babel we can so clearly see the error of pride from other passages in the Bible and how pride is self-absorption and accomplishing things for self. And so I think in light of that, what we see in the rest of the Bible, we can see the point of the Tower of Babel being the foolishness of man's pride. And so that's kind of what I'm going for with that. Uh, But I think also realize in narrative uh, 
Uh, God is meant to be shown as the hero. Uh, so I think in narrative, honestly, sometimes it's really just a great opportunity to focus more on his attributes than re- than whether or not we should, I don't know, lay out a fleece like Gideon did. Uh, I don't think that's the point of the Gideon narrative by any stretch. Uh, but I think lastly, though, you know, there are some passages that are that are hard in this, some narratives that, you know, it's it's just a question. And some people would kind of go towards uh, towards the idea of basically not even really applying it. And I think that's foolish, too, because I think there's a level of humble group guesswork involved, you know, and I don't mean like autonomous by yourself. Uh, I think, you know, we work together and we see how Christians have applied things together and we try to do our best, but knowing that we could screw up. So an example might be, I mean, we both brought up Ruth, actually. So Ruth is often used to teach about romance. It's pr- their sermon series is about romance, biblical romance from Ruth. And I don't think that's wrong, but I think you it would... You uncover the feet. And this... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think it would be wrong to have the kind of confidence that that's the point, that that's the... N- that's the thing that we're to bring home in the way that we might have the confidence in, say, for example, uh, Abraham off- offering Isaac. So uh, that's good examples there. And then just bringing up uh, Ruth and the application point there, because, yeah, there are many, many ways to um, bring application from Scripture. But I, I like what you're talking about, the, the group uh, guesswork. And I, I heard, I didn't hear the sermon itself, but I heard someone talking about a sermon they were using a passage from one of the gospels where jesus is in the garden of gethsemane praying the night before he's crucified and he's preparing um and he's saying father if there's any way for this cup to be passed let's do that and they used it as a way to teach about how to deal with stress you know and so that's like yeah maybe a very very far down level application but to make that like the main thing that's not what that's talking about, and some of this kind of appalling to take. You know, Jesus is about to face the the wrath of God uh, for our sin, and like well, this is how we should deal with stress. And so, yeah, I think it it's not as much science as it is art. Just learning how to deal with it, and, and just the more familiar you become with reading narrative, and just seeing, like you said, that God is the hero. Um, and that we are not necessarily the good guys in Scripture. Um, and you're trying to compare to the rest of Scripture and and to see. But sometimes, I mean, I know, and I don't think we're going to get to the bottom of this, but you, there's a number of places in Scripture where someone tells something that is either patently false or misleading, and then it raises the ethical question, well, is it okay to lie or under what circumstances and this kind of thing? And those are you know, conversations worth having, um, but that's not the primary point of those passages. And so, yeah, it's just trying to look, it's just having good reading skills, trying to see what what is this going at in the most uh, clear way? What was the biggest deal here? Yeah. And then I think it does. It's wise to listen to others uh, and resources, conversation, that kind of thing, before we start going off and making other things that clearly are not the main point of of what's being presented there. There just happen to be details that occurred in the text, just because uh, something. And you'll hear this from critics of the Bible. Just because something happened in the Bible doesn't mean that it's being approved of. And, and that, frankly, that's ridiculous hermeneutics to do that. Um, I mean, you know, the, the people in the news can say somebody, you know, raped some people and killed them. That doesn't mean they're approving of it. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Um, and so 
yeah, there's people in Scripture that had lots of wives, but like you're talking about Genesis, you get past chapter 11 and you look at um, what happened with Abraham and taking on Hagar, and then you look at uh, Jacob and the mess he had with his dysfunctional family. Even though the Bible never came out and said uh, they, these guys shouldn't be marrying multiple wives, I mean, just look at the you know yep. Jerry Springer stuff going on and go, hmm, seems like the, the narrator here is giving us a picture of the consequences of their action. And so that's just one example of trying to be sensitive to the details that are in the text. Oh, I agree. So sometimes uh, people want to teach narrative as something like, you know, this person was good, so be good like this like him or like her or this one was bad so don't be bad like him or her and that's sort of the the gist of it there's not much more others want to blast that it's all that's moralistic that's shallow uh and they instead they just want to show how jesus is the greater you know candlestick in the the tabernacle or (laughs) you know jesus is the greater whatever so who's right i mean can you decide for us just make a declaration (sighs) I, I think neither is right in those extreme examples you gave. Uh, uh, but I think to some degree, both of those approaches are also right. I think it's kind of a weird both and neither. So, and I actually think we see this clearly from Scripture, because uh, John five uh, thirty nine that uh, Jesus says, "You search the Scripture because that you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness uh, about me." So I think in this, I think in this verse as well, some other verses, Jesus portrays like the Bible as as really all the Bible is being about him. All the Bible is being his story. For, uh, to quote a song from uh, Sovereign Grace Kids Music, uh, that from Genesis to Revelation, there's one story of your great salvation. It's all about Jesus. But at the same time, uh, then you look in 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, which is all mainly talking about narratives. It's talking about the Old Testament, which is largely narrative. And it says all scripture, including you know, Chronicles, including Ruth, uh, is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So I think that's very clear that that this is for training in righteousness. It is le- very legitimate to use narrative as a way to uh, guide moral character. But I think you just have to do it in some of the ways that we discussed. That's a, that's a careful answer because Scripture really does look at, at the, the Old Testament and, and moralize sometimes. Um, First Corinthians 10 comes to mind, and you know these things happen to them so that we might not fall um, in I forget the exact wording, but you know looking at their their lack of faith and their disobedience, there are other places as well um, that I, I, I didn't write them all down. Uh, but actually in my electronic Bible software that I use, I've got a, a, a tab for that where where the Old Testament or the New Testament takes the Old Testament and makes moral lessons from it. Um, We can look and learn. For instance, with Jacob, it's a bad idea to marry two women, especially when they're sisters. Um, You're just looking for conflict. You know, there are many other things that we could list. But like you said, also, Jesus is what Scripture is about. Jesus himself took that approach. And so it would really be humble of us to listen to the the one who's the source of scripture, who, you know, by his spirit breathed it out for us and go, okay, he said, you know, there's they that testify about me. And then in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, he began with Moses and the prophets and, and told them all the things concerning himself. 
And so um, having that to see, okay, the point is to drive us to Christ, even in the law, that um, is not just giving us some rules, and Proverbs is not yeah. just giving us tips and observations on life, though it does do that, but we don't want to short-circuit things. And I think, you know, kids and and uh, youth ministry stuff can be very guilty of that kind of stuff uh, because we want to make it relatable. We want to make it applicable. And, and that's a good, uh, I do want to say that that is a good intention. We just want to take scripture for all that it is intended to be for us. And it, the intention, I think pretty clearly within the text itself is more than that. Yeah. So with that said, what are some pitfalls that we want to avoid when handling narrative passages? I think one uh, one that we've kind of alluded to before, I mean, making the descriptive prescriptive. I mean, like uh, you mentioned, I mean, somebody reporting that somebody raped and murdered someone does not mean that they're supporting them raping and murdering someone by any stretch. And we can do that. We can make things that are descriptive. I, back to the Gideon thing, legitimately, actually, uh, if you read the more clear things like the Pentateuch, uh, Pentateuch's laws, I mean, it's very clear that testing God is not only a sin, uh, but in the Old Testament, putting God to the test uh, made you worthy of God's divine wrath and punishment of death. Uh, and so, you know, if you were to uh, make uh, the descriptive account of Gideon uh, putting out a flea something that we should do, you're ignoring the more clear thing where actually it's probably just descriptive of how God used somebody who's being a doofus, you know, uh, <laughs> even though he should he deserved to be killed by God. And But I think also uh, moralism, uh, and that, that's an obvious one, and I think that is so prevalent. Uh, so, And that's an example that would be often something that we've harped on. Uh, there's the popular children's story, you know, where, uh, uh, children's Bible, where they'll take the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and make that into a story of how you can help other people, like the child that uh, helped, the child that gave his uh, bread and whatnot, uh, which is interesting because he's not even mentioned in the other narratives and so he's clearly not the focus of the story <laughs> so i think that's another area but i think also the way that martin luther sometimes did i think we can err by uh going to a pitfall by making it just mainly really the history of god's people i mean even uh i think that there are christians that that focus so much on the epistles, I think I'm prone to be like this if I don't check myself. Uh, that might say, yes, this is this is true, but I'm going to focus on the more clear epistles. But the reality is, like I mentioned before, since 2 Timothy 3.16, this narrative is for our lives. It's not just telling us what happened. It is something that is meant to change how we live. That's, that's a good point. All, all scripture, I mean, just again, take take the full scope of scripture. And I think sometimes the problem where, where we get, get into danger is that we're just not familiar enough with the whole scope of scripture. And so then we can get off and, and misuse it in ways. And so that might say, well, I, it sounds like I got to be some kind of expert or I've got to um, have memorized the whole Bible before I can teach it. And that's not the case, but just we want to grow in our understanding of, of everything that God has said so that we can better teach the different parts of it. Because it get, I mean, it helps us individual as individuals when we teach, but then it's also a blessing to those um, whom we are teaching. So should we only teach narrative to young people and especially to kids since they can follow stories? But, you know, it's kind of harder with epistles uh, or wisdom and poetry and stuff like that. I mean, what are your thoughts? Uh, I definitely do not think that's the case whatsoever. Uh, so 
I think one way that we can definitively know that we shouldn't do that uh, is uh, so one of the that twice in Paul's epistles, he literally directly addresses children. Like it's not uh, when he gives commands to children, he's not saying, "Oh, parents, just go." go make sure that you use a narrative to show your child to submit. Instead, he actually directly addresses children in his letters, in his epistles. So, I mean, clearly this is meant for children, uh, just in the same way that narrative is. Uh, prophecies were meant for children. Even, actually, there's examples of, and prophecies will mention how that people were commanded to be gathered to hear the prophecies, and, and mentions including young children. So, I mean, this is, ve- all of the Bible is for kids. It's all, it's it's uh, God breathed for every single one of us. Uh, and I think if we do that, if we just focus on the narrative, like honestly, probably the vast majority of children's ministry can do. And even youth ministry sometimes can do that. I, I think sometimes actually can do the opposite. Uh, but I, what, it will inevitably result in moralization. We will moralize if we just focus on the narrative. Uh, but, and they need to see... Uh, the God of the past is the God of our future. So, you know, they need everything. They need that together. Narrative often goes so hand-in-hand hand with prophecy. So, for example, you have like Daniel that has this narrative sections and then these prophecy sections. And I think the point of why that God does that is because with that even children need to see that God that has been faithful in the past, the God that's worked mightily in the past, is the same God who makes these promises for the future that we need to understand uh, and uh, I think lastly, uh, we that uh, they learn to pray and sing through wisdom literature. I didn't really mention wisdom literature in that, but I think if they don't have wisdom literature, they don't really know very well how to pray. They don't really know well how Christians are to sing to God. I like what the stuff you said. I mean, you brought in um, so many different genres in Scripture and you know the functions that they have. I and mean, it's just a yeah, well thought out answer to that. You know, you brought up the, the thing about the people gathering, both in the New Testament church where the kids are addressed, and then um, I, I, with the prophets, um, you, you mentioned that, but then I can think in Nehemiah 8 where they've come back and they basically have, uh, you know, a, a Bible conference yep. where Ezra is explain is teaching, you know, reading it, and then yep. they have people explaining it, and it specifies twice in there how even you know everybody that's able to understand and so it was it, it talks about bringing young ones and so they were reading the law and so um they're and then you think like in deuteronomy and exodus too where it's talking about um observing the lord's acts but this is given um you know children can be addressed in these things we we want to expose them to all of scripture and it was either spurgeon or jc ryle said this is some advice to parents about give kids all of the bible don't just give them a part of it or only talk about god loves you yes we want to tell the children that god loves them that's a beautiful truth um but they need to be exposed to the breadth of um who God is, what he said, what he's done. And so we're kind of spiritually impoverishing them if we're not giving them all that. And so that's why I like uh, Bible curricula that that do go through chronologically through Scripture, or and whether it's chronological or not, but they're working through the different literature types in Scripture. So are there any helpful resources, kind of as we bring this to a close, uh, that you would recommend that, that are helpful for people that are teaching the Bible to, to grow in their understanding and uh, use of narrative? Uh, I've got uh, 
three uh, that I can think of really. Uh, so, and I think are really helpful. Uh, the first one I'll mention uh, that I think really helpful in understanding really how uh, you can teach any genre to a child, your own child. It was that book meant for, written for family worship that I actually used a lot when I was writing my own children's curriculum. Uh, and it's called 66 Books, One Story, A Guide to Every Book of the Bible. And it's by a man named Paul Reynolds. And it's meant to be uh, used for children. I, I sometimes like older elementary kids. Uh, it has a lot of points directed towards, but I think even uh, for younger kids it can apply towards. But I think it helps the reader, the, a parent that's trying to teach a narrative, to understand what they're teaching. It really outlines and, and diagrams it in a really helpful way. Uh, so another one I can think of uh, is uh, uh, that does really heavily with narrative is uh, uh, Marty Machowski has a family worship uh, guide that's called 66 uh, that's called uh, long story short rather uh, and that is mostly works through the Old Testament stories Old Testament narratives and it guides you in times of family worship of studying it uh, and I think it can also be helpful for children's lessons but it, I think asks the right questions and it connects it to the more clear teachings of things like the epistles and I think it just helps you develop that kind of methodology yourself. Uh, and the last one I'll say is actually a, a, ch a shorter children's story Bible that I really like uh, for this purpose specifically and how that it really uh, helps in this aspect. And that's uh, The Biggest Story by Kevin DeYoung. I think The Biggest Story is a really good uh, good capturing of narrative uh, from, a, from a right understanding that's Christological, Christ-focused, but also at the same time it shows the moral examples in the past. So those are some, um, I, I know of some of those resources, but I'm not familiar with them. And then I, the one you were talking about, the 66 books, I just went on my Amazon wish list and uh, put that on there. That sounds, I'd like to check that out. Reading scripture itself is the biggest thing, but there are other tools out there that can help us learn to better handle God's word. And I think those who are listening to this have a very vested interest, whether it's with their own children or with their kids and youth at church that they're ministering to, that we want to handle God's word properly because um, it is his word after all. And so um, we want it to um, have the use it with the intentions that he has for us. And so that's going to be a blessing to us and to those that we're ministering to. Um, well, thanks for thinking with me about this. It's an important topic. Again, I mean, narrative is, is all over the place in Scripture. And so we want to, to think carefully about how we're handling it. So thanks for the insight that you brought to the table today. Always my pleasure. God bless you, my brother, and our listeners. And until next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.